Banter Banter has returned to you. And this evening, this morning, this yesterday, this tomorrow. This whenever you're listening to our podcast, which we would really appreciate if you shared. Yeah, that's right. Breaking traditions. We used to keep that till the end. Mash that subscribe button. I know. What are the boys going to do next? I don't know, but I gotta listen. Maybe start off the episode with Don't Be on Fire. Ah! There's one thing that I feel has so much sugar in it that it would get set on fire. It's a Twinkie. How many Twinkies do you feel, if you were a child, you would have tried to consume? Manny, my co-host. It depends how many are in a box, Mike, my co-host. That is a great question. But another question that I have for you, without going too deep into the wild yonders of ideas that perpetuate the Twinkie universe, does a Twinkie literally have a forever shelf life lifespan? Can it survive nuclear winter? If we're to believe Woody Harrelson's character in Zombieland, then they do have a finite lifespan. Which I would imagine, food can be unperishable to an extent, but I don't think Twinkies are immortal. I think you're right. And going to a little catchback from our previous episode... This little food conspiracy theory that I have uncovered here with Twinkies is not just with Twinkies, but McDonald's has caught a slight conspiracy theory rep on the longevity of its hamburger and french fries. And as we dive in, the theory with Twinkies, from what I've heard, it's one of these two. It can survive nuclear winter. Or it has a shelf life that is over 40 years in length. And that is either because of the chemicals they shove into it or that cute cellophane wrapping that it's in that's inside the box. Either way, this has been unfortunately debunked. Oh no. I know, right? Because I always thought in a zombie apocalypse... My best thing would be to find a giant bag of Twinkies. And sure, I'll smash them a little bit because my backpack's full of junk. Or maybe it's empty. But it's a good burst of energy. 160 calories per individual Twinkie. They come in a two-pack. That's not true. They just come packaged. But I would love them too to a package. That'd be pretty sweet. Like a hostess chocolate cupcake. Ah, sugary treats. My body can't handle them. If you're a fan of some savory and sweet, and you also watch the 80s film UHF, you would know that Weird Al did coin the Twinkie Wiener Sandwich. I do love this movie, but the Twinkie Wiener Sandwich isn't what caught on to me, so do explain. It's quite simple. You set down a Twinkie, you split the top of it open, kind of like some people do with hot dog buns instead of like splitting them down the center because it gives them more stability. So you cut it down the middle and you insert a hot dog weenie 
ride in this new orifice you gave the Twinkie? Now, is this a kosher hot dog? Or is this a generic beef frank? If you're going the Weird Al way, it kind of looks like he just grabbed the generic Bar S brand wieners. But I'm sure you could probably go as gourmet kosher as you want. Those kosher hot dogs, they've got some extra length to them. I feel like the term footlong is appropriate because it extends almost a little further out than my regular generic hot dog bun. And I like that. I like more meat than bread as I take a bite. What you do with that once you've nestled your hot dog into its new home is you top it off with a good old zigzag of cheese whiz, cheese in a can. I really love this idea. But is there a conspiracy theory behind the everlasting life of Cheese Whiz? Like there is with McDonald's hamburgers, where someone has photographed it over several months of time in a specific environment and nothing happens. That'll sort of tend to happen whenever your meat is sort of heavily processed the way it is. Ultimately, between that and the amount of fat and salt in it. It kind of, I'd imagine, tends to preserve it a little bit better. I guess that doesn't really explain the bread as much, does it? It really doesn't. Their bread doesn't mold, huh? It does not seem to mold like regular bread that you purchase from the grocery store does. And I think this is a great fitting into the current discussion of the conspiracy theory of food lasting for a long time, for a variety of different reasons. The internet claim about McDonald's that I have seen, and did a little bit of research, light skimming research on, is that a McDonald's hamburger left out on the countertop will not rot because it's full of chemicals and preservatives. If I remember my research correctly, Snopes.com claimed this conspiracy to be false, mostly because McDonald's, when it cooks its products, it both heats the bread up and it heats the meat up, and the current claim is that you've cooked most of the moisture out and you're leaving it on a countertop where it has statistically a rough 40% humidity rate inside most American homes which draws out more of the moisture, thus retarding the ability for molds and bacteria to grow on that environment, both the meat and the bun. So I guess what you're saying is that that patty is essentially jerking. It could be. It is a close stage. I bet if you stuck it out in the sun and like gave it some cool pressings, Give it another few months, you can sell it for an extra $5 at any local gas station. Any sort of process you could do to that meat, it's pretty nice. It is pretty nice. I should probably toss in there, back in my time down in the good old Texas capital, I was fortunate enough to know the acquaintance of an artist was he formerly known as Meatloaf because he got dehydrated? 
No, his name was Ben Campbell, if anyone wants to look him up. He did an art exhibit where he had used as a core for his sculptures and everything, ground up McDonald's cheeseburgers. He sort of used them as the base for a resin-based plaster. You mean the whole burger, like, I purchase the burger, I take the wrapping off, and then he... Yes, he... Took the whole bun, cheese, meat... He shredded it and basically mixed it with resin and cast different things. He mostly went for a Egyptian mummy thing, and the exhibit was called The Tomb of the McMummy. I love this idea, and I'm a little sad that I missed this exhibit. He sculpted and cast an entire mummy that looked pretty convincingly like a desiccated corpse, but he sort of worked in the visuals of the wrappers from the hamburgers to kind of seem like some of the wrappings to the mummy. Oh, wow. It was all very interesting, but I guess to keep from dwelling on this too much, it was based off of that whole... I would say factoid about the longevity of McDonald's food and the reason it is so long-lasting. I think the cheapest souvenir, well, the cheapest piece of art that he sold to any patrons who didn't have a lot to give to him was a sort of action figure packaging with a slip on the inside that was just a McDonald's cheeseburger. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that he used something that has... The commercial concept, whether it's good or bad, there is some bit of fact, and I think you used the terms appropriately, the McDonald's factoid of the longevity of its food on a shelf life concept, much like the Twinkie factoid that most people have. There is almost an undercurrent need and wish for products to last long. Maybe not in the food industry, but there almost seems, whether it's true or not, a time in which you bought a product and the company that made it wanted it to last a long time versus the concept of planned obsolescence. We have become a throwaway culture which lends to the idea that the best business model for a company is to work off a planned obsolescence business model of this is supposed to break down. You're supposed to throw it away. It only has a functioning lifespan of two years so that we can provide you a bigger, better Batter, talkier, lightier... Beetleborg. Beetleborg! Upgrade. For more money, also, please. Inflation. I typically tend to side with that belief. It makes sense from a business prospect, because if they sold you the one thing and it lasted forever, then they can't sell you the new thing. It's a one-time sale. I totally get it. Where would our fruit-named phone manufacturer be if they couldn't sell people a new phone every year i totally feel you at the same time i don't have the thousand dollars every year to cough up for a new rectangle metal object with lights and buzzies i think the overall aim is 
if you were the mind to like to update your tech frequently, even if it's not every year, you would be more likely to hop on the newest, most expensive one every, let's say, three years. I can totally get behind that. Yeah, if there was, like, the newest model. Meanwhile, I think there's sort of an expectation for the price of a product that goes out in, let's say, something like a PlayStation. Over its lifespan, usually by the end of it, you can get them for at least 50 75 maybe even $100 cheaper than they would have been when they first came out. Because people sort of expect that. They expect the product to depreciate after a while. But if there's always a new one... Yes, especially with our tech, it has a high rate of upgrade. Something that's been out for six months is now... It is out of date. It's old. It's slow. It doesn't keep up. It doesn't do the right work. For the average Joe, the average Jane, the average consumer... We take a lot of the hits because it's not just tech. And I think you're totally right focusing on the tech side. Technology in the computer handheld world is increasing rapidly and exponentially. Via one of the links that I shared for this evening's conversation, there is a list of products that have basically been set up for failure in the sense that it has a finite lifespan for the intent of repurchase. We all know one of these. Let's be honest. I get why it's on this list, but also it feels like it runs out so fast and that stupid black cartridge? Can I buy them individually? Uh... Ink. Oh, I thought it was semi-automatic rifles. Dang. I'm always running those cartridges out. If you got two banana clips with a little bit of duct tape, you would run out less. What if I get one of those old-style drum clips that the Thompson's machine guns used to have? There you go. Do you have that cool handle, like my desk, where you have to crank... Oh, you mean an old Gatling gun. Exactly. That'll go for days. But it is planned obsolescence. You're going to run out, and that company's going to sell you some more bullets. I get ink. You use it. It does run out. But doesn't it feel like every time your printer is complaining about an ink cartridge, it's the same one, and none of the other ones will work without that one? And it's never the black? It's never the black ink? And I'm just printing some words that are in black ink. It needs a cyan. I don't need cyan or yellow or fuchsia. It needs super cyan. Another one that I actually think is unique. It could easily predate the process of personal computers and the electronic environment. Nylon stockings. The company realized that... If you made nylon stockings that didn't rip and have runs in them and lasted for several years, you didn't make money. They also produced parachutes for the U.S. military during World War II. I remember my history a little bit, and there was that call to arms for people who were not 
part of the war effort directly to collect and hold back on the use of nylon stockings in order to preserve more for the war effort. Now, do you think if McDonald's had made the nylon stockings, they would have lasted forever? Probably, because those stockings are in a low-humidity environment, right? Probably stored in it initially, so yeah. Gives you an extra three weeks before you have to pay another four ninety nine for those nylons. I don't know how much nylons cost. I admit that I am not versed in the pricing of pantyhose. Although it is a nice way to make your legs seem smoother and to have less variations in skin spots and tones. You know, sometimes a pair of nylons just makes you feel nice. Oh, society. Why wouldn't you make it okay? Another thing that I am not surprised by, but also a little saddened by, based on certain company arguments. Most clothing products are intended to fall apart, mostly on the seams. Some companies have intentionally made things weak in the fiber department. Oh yeah, my doctor tells me I need more fiber. I like to eat apples. That helps me get the fiber. But wearing apples is really uncomfortable because they go bad so quickly. I feel like every three or four days, I need to sew a new apple t-shirt. Oh yeah, and then they keep putting a new version of it out every year. And then you wonder, if McDonald's made smartphones, do you think they would last forever? They would, because first, it would be made of the meat and there's no moisture. And you should stick it in a bag of rice if you get it wet anyway. It's gonna last forever. And have you ever dropped a hamburger patty on the ground? The spring and the bounce on that thing. That screen's not breaking. Meanwhile, if Apple made hamburgers, you would get all the fiber you needed. It would be the crispiest burger you've ever had. I want a Honeycrisp burger. I love it when I bite into my burger <laughs> and it breaks my teeth. <laughs> a burger a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> Especially if you throw it. Please buy more of our burgers to keep the doctors that we've hired away. Their new sales pitch would be, we have doctors at the entrance of our Apple burger shops. Buy your burger to keep them away. <laughs> One out of ten doctors isn't a very happy camper. You can tell by the unhappy face. <laughs> Would this be like a carnival where the doctor is sitting on that little plastic ledge and you're throwing carnival balls at a target to knock him into the water? But instead it's apples. And if it falls in there, it actually has a warning that says, do not get apples wet or feed after midnight. But when you do, a whole bunch of oranges appear, and you're like, oh, oranges, citrus, I can't. But you need it. It's to fight off the scurvy. And also, you can't go bobbing for oranges. That's the terrible part. Because after you're done dunking the doctor, <laughs> you have to challenge him to a bobbing for apples contest. And if you do it after midnight, then they all become oranges and you have to, like, bite down on and get that, like, squirt of citrus mist in your mouth. Do you have any companies that fit into either business model? Do you feel that there are some companies you've seen out, at least in the United States, that their product seems to be built 
to have a bit more longevity before replacement? Or do you have more companies that fit into the, like, we've got a newer, bigger, better version of that, and you should ditch your old one and buy this one? Or that's going to break down in a year. You just need to buy the new one. I think it's all scaled to a certain amount. I'd imagine things that seem to require and have a market for higher longevity. I would submit as an example, maybe work clothes and apparel manufacturers, outdoors equipment. You typically don't want that stuff to break away too easily. Then you lose customers because obviously for that sort of stuff, you as a consumer, don't necessarily care to get the newest state-of-the-art stuff rather than the kind of stuff that you can foreseeably have years and years of fishing trips with. Yeah, I can get that. Meanwhile, you do have anything that runs off of software, I think, going back to the electronics thing a little bit, I think it's a self-reinforcing cycle where the people who develop the software are always in the habit to push to get the most out of the available hardware at the time. Which in turn means that anytime that there's new hardware put out with higher specs and better capabilities, the manufacturers want to meet those new capabilities to make their software make fancier effects, do things quicker, and... I think in a way that sort of reinforces and bakes in that obsolescence you're talking about. While on a similar but different version of the same thing, if you look at, let's say, game console manufacturers, they kind of have the understanding that their product has to hang around for about six years, give or take. And because of that, the software developers, instead of always trying to build the highest end software to take advantage of the most horsepower of what is constantly coming out, they find ways to instead sort of maximize the efficiency of what they have because they know they're stuck there for a little while. I can see that. So the concept that you've kind of brought up makes me wonder about this next part of my question. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll give you my answer when you're done. But would you say when there is a manufacturer warranty date, like a one, two, five, ten year, would you say that that's the company's expectation in which after this date, this product is going to just increase in probability of breaking down? I would say that's part of the equation. I imagine that another part of it comes in the understanding that people are kind of apprehensive towards certain types of products where they know when they buy them that there's a good chance that the manufacturer wants you to get a new one as soon as possible. So you have certain companies that will offer a warranty that, if you think about it, isn't really that long like usually it's the one year limited manufacturer's warranty or something i think it's a way of trying to feed you a peace of mind where 
you're seeing on the packaging that, oh, they will cover this if it breaks. This must mean it's better than the rest. But really, it probably is just a, to a sense, measured amount of use that they are willing to hedge their bets on. I think you are right, and I back up your argument of it is part of the overall cost. This is clearly a process of capitalism. These corporations are trying to make money, and this is part of the making money business model that has come to be. Insurance and the insurance industry has helped guide this process, whether intentionally or unintentionally, but it's all part of that make money process. I have two sides to my frustration. Part of it is companies might actually be doing this on purpose. At the same time, there is that advancement of technology, i.e. my air conditioning unit in the past 15, 30 years has improved greatly on usage and capacity. It has like a 15-year warranty, which is a super long warranty. Awesome, love it. But it's also in that technology upgrade time limit of this is old. We first can sell you something better and it's going to work better for you, but it's also more profit for us because we've invested on this technology upgrade. We need to recoup expenses. And then also another factor I think that weighs in on it is that our culture has been so geared towards preferring to toss something away and get a new one rather than attempt to fix it. Oh, yeah. I would totally agree to that. And I think the worst kind of customer from a company perspective to look at is the customer who isn't afraid to take the product they sold you when it's broken down and just kind of crack it open and figure out what just went wrong in there. And I think that falls in line with a lot of the right to repair legislation to help free up the opportunity for people to get electronics repaired at a lower cost from not certified repair locations that are probably also being gouged by the manufacturer because the manufacturer is not letting you purchase any other product to certify that it hasn't been damaged so it doesn't void the warranty which, just a little bit of background info, did you know that that legislation came from a lawsuit from farmers who took issue with the policies that John Deere has with its machinery, where they were not allowed to take it anywhere to be serviced other than the small group of certified technicians who are allowed to repair that machinery? Otherwise, they will void your warranty and you will have a lot harder time getting service on that machine. I did not know that they were the driving reason. I did know that they had that problem. And let's be honest, farmers, anybody that's out there farming, I got to give you props because you are in a strong and hard fight against the corporate machine. You've got the legislation that you had to fight for over repairing your products that help sow your fields and 
clear them and till them and harvest. On top of that, you've got people that have patented seeds and are harassing people that are not intentionally trying to pollinate their crops with a corporate seed. Oh, yeah. Did you know there's a species of blue potato that you are not allowed to buy if you are a resident of Idaho? That doesn't surprise me because I bet that blue potato is not sold by a corporation that has copyright on a specific seed with some genetic ingraining so that they can test your flowers and your leaves and say, this is mine, I own it, I copyrighted it, you're not allowed to have it, even though you have no control over how pollination functions. Because pollination, people. Ugh. Potato pollen. All those potatoes. They're just pollinating everything under those grounds. Don't eat that dirt. It's full of pollen. Potato pollen. I love that time of the spring whenever the potatoes come out of their hive and start buzzing around and drinking nectar from McDonald's fryers. (laughs) They love their french fry grease. It makes them immortal. And just doing a quick callback to the beginning of our episode, don't douse yourself in french fry blue potato grease because that might accidentally catch you on fire now that we are stopping ourselves from being on fire manny do you have a question for our audience sure so listeners i must ask what fast food item do you think would last the longest let's narrow this down to mcdonald's the mcnuggets or the fillet of fish that is a really good and tough question to answer i'm gonna have to post a side-by-side photo option in my non-humidified home of 40 percent listeners the question i have for you is If your shoes lasted forever, would you still buy more shoes? I would. Nice. Listeners, thanks for tilting your ear in our direction again. Be sure to share our episode. Tell them how nice of an episode this was. As always, remember to get your shot. But if you haven't gotten it yet, Keep washing those hands, wearing a mask, and not touching your face when you go out. Those are the best ways to help not be on fire. And now let's borrow from the beginning and say welcome to Banter Banter, episode 69. This is my co-host, Manny. And my co-host, Mike. Nice. Please slap some funnies on our Banter BanterCast Facebook page. Or share Mike Facts with us on Twitter at Banter underscore cast or individually at Brogar, C-R-E, for Manny. You can find me on Twitter at Mike8Time, the number 8. You can find Aaron at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. 
The podcast cover art is brought to us by at Easy Louisi, based off of original art by at Bobbin underscore Goblins. And last but not least, the intro and outro to this episode is the most mysterious song on the internet. Get into your mystery machine and help us find out who created this magic.